Well, good morning, friends, and welcome again to our Cornerstone service. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. If you are a first-time guest, thanks for being here with us today. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, uh, there are blue Bibles uh, here in our worship space that you can grab. You'll find Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, on page 284 in those blue Bibles. And we will be saying the word Deuteronomy many times today because it is a really fun word. So there's the first thing that you've, uh, that you've learned today. We're continuing our series, uh, The Seeds of a Better Life. And we began a few weeks ago with the idea that for all of us, when we wake up in the morning, none of us say, Lord, I really hope I can make my life worse today. No one thinks that way. No one is, uh, is organized in that way. We all think towards the idea of better. We're all pursuing a better life uh, each in our own way, and we're surrounded by lots of different messages and encouragement, instruction of how to find that better life. That's where the question really comes in, what does it mean to actually engage with a better life? And so we started with the idea that the better life is a planted life, the idea that the better life is one that is uh, about faithfulness, it's a, it's a life that is pursued intentionally, it is a life that isn't about increased status or security, but it's a life where our significance is found in living selflessly. We plant ourselves in good places in our life. And so, over the course of this series, we're looking at three specific seeds that you can plant in your life that we believe lead to a better life. So, if you were here last week, we looked at the first seed. And the first seed that we talked about was the seed of belief. If you were here, Pastor Johnny shared with you this definition for beliefs, that beliefs are the stories that guide our life story. That's how we spoke about this seed that we intentionally plant in our life. And I want to illustrate for you what we mean by uh, the stories that guide our life story. So uh, in, in reading the scriptures and understanding the scriptures, one of the things that I've shared with you before is when you're trying to figure out, what is the Bible saying to me? When you read through a passage and you can't quite figure out, well, what's the word for me today? Uh, three of the questions that you might ask yourself is, well, what does this say about God? What am I learning about God in this passage? What is this passage communicating to me about God and God's character? What does it say about us? What does it say about humanity, about our need? And, and what does it say about the relationship between God and us? And so looking at this framework, let me show you one way of thinking about a belief set that would guide your life. You could be guided by the idea that God is God, that I am not, and I need God. That's one way of thinking about this framework and thinking about a set of beliefs that would guide your life, that God is God and I am not and I need God. And you may look at that, hear that, and you may think, well, that makes sense. That's really simple. You know, God is God. I'm not God. I need God. I understand that. But let me show you an alternative way of answering these questions that is quite different. You, you might instead be guided by the idea that God is distant and I am alone. And I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, because I'm alone and God is distant, I've just got to figure out what this whole life thing is all about. And maybe in looking at the distinction between those two sets of ideas, you might be able to think about moments or seasons in your life where you found yourself living not according to the belief that God is God and I am not, not and I need God, 
but rather something similar or, or closer to this, that God is distant and I just feel really alone and I'm just, I'm just trying to figure it out. I want you to think about the gap between those two ways of thinking. Uh, and the idea that what beliefs really do for us is they inform relationships and they shape behaviors. If you live your life based on the belief that God is God, that I am not, and I need God, it will inform the relationship that you develop with God, and it'll shape the behaviors of your life. And so will the opposite. The belief that God is distant, that I'm alone, and I've just got to figure this out all by myself. It, it, it will shape and transform the relationship that you have with God, if you have any at all. But that's what beliefs do for us in our life. They inform the relationships that we develop and they shape the behaviors of our lives. And I wanted to reset all of that because as we move into the second seed, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how the first seed really works in harmony with the second seed. That these are mutually supportive of one another and you really need all three, but in particular these two, together working if you're going to pursue the better life. So that's where we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, and um, let me tell you a little bit about this book first because you may not have read Deuteronomy before, uh, but it is uh, connected to another book of the Bible that you are more familiar with, the book of Exodus. Now you may not have read the entirety of Exodus, but you've seen the movie, okay? So you know the story. You know that the Israelites are living in slavery. They call out to God to rescue them from their slavery, and God God comes in the burning bush to a man named Moses, and he calls Moses to go back to the land of Egypt and to ask Pharaoh to let my people go, right? So Moses goes and he challenges Pharaoh. Eventually, Pharaoh relents. He lets the Israelites go, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. The armies pursue uh, the people of, of Israel. They come to the Red Sea, and Charlton Heston holds out his arms, and then the Red Sea parts. The Israelites pass on the dry ground, and the waters turn in on themselves when, the, when, the, when Pharaoh's army tries to pursue them. So you know that part of the story, what may be less familiar is what happens afterwards. So after that, the Israelites wander in the wilderness for, for over a generation. And while wandering in the wilderness, God takes care of them. God provides for them. He provides manna from heaven, literally food to, to care for them, to, to, to provide for their bodies while they are in this time of wilderness. God gives them the law. He orders their life so that when they enter into the promised land, they'll be ready to live as God's people. That's where the Ten Commandments come in. So when we get to Deuteronomy, we are at the end of that wandering period. And Moses, this, this great leader who has led Israel out of slavery through the wilderness, is coming to the end of his life. He's preparing to pass the mantle of leadership onto Joshua, and Joshua is actually the one who's going to get to lead the people into the promised land. And so from the perspective of his life of faith, of all that he had done over the course of his life, the ups and the downs, the successes, the massive failures, Moses speaks into the lives of the people who will now move into the land, uh, uh, come to the destination they've been looking for for so long. And he offers them these words of wisdom. So beginning in verse 1, this is what Moses says. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to, to possess. So that you 
and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that, you, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them uh, on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. And houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the last half of uh, uh, verse 11 and verse 12. Uh, this warning that Moses adds at the end of this. He, he says, I write to you, I want to share these with you because I want it to go well with you. I want the, the life that you now live, the, the, the life that is to come for you, the, 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 the home that you're going to build that I'll never get to see. I want it to be a great place for you. I want it to go well with you. And so take these commands. Don't forget them. Tie them as, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames. Talk about them when you get up and when you lie down, when you're lock, walking along the road, when you're at home. Talk about them with your children. Remind them of this so that when you eat and you are satisfied, when you pursue and you find yourself in this land, you're in these cities and these homes and you're receiving the fruits of this, these vineyards that you didn't plant, when everything's going well, don't forget. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Now keep this in mind as you think about this warning and these words of promise. The people who are receiving these words from Moses, these are not the same people who had cried out for decades for God to remove them from their slavery. This is the next generation. That generation had all passed away. They were gone. This is a whole new people. These are not the ones who were most familiar with the suffering of slavery. This was the next generation who had the great joy and honor to be sitting there on the brink of entering into the promised land. These are the ones who didn't know the, uh, firsthand the story of what God had done. And yet Moses says, you can never forget that moment. You can never forget what God has done for you. You can never forget what God did on behalf of your ancestors. You can never forget that moment that maybe you've only heard about. You didn't see it, but it happened. And because it happened, you are here. And because you're human beings... <laughs> Uh, because you are people who are prone to forget, I need to remind you, you got to be careful. You got to be very careful that you do not forget that the Lord is the one who has brought you to this place. The Lord is the one who is, who is taking you into this land. You cannot forget that God is God and you are not and you need God.
And the only reason you're here is because of what God has done for you in your life. These were human beings just like you and just like me. And because they were human beings just like you and just like me, they uh, face the same temptation that you and I face. We find ourselves in a place in life where we eat and we are satisfied. And suddenly this guiding belief that we thought was so strong in our life that God is God and I am not and I need God, it can very easily kind of slide into this God is distant and I am alone and I will try to figure it out and hey, things are going okay, so I must be doing really well. We eat and we're satisfied and we forget. Another way of saying it is this, that without practice, we all drift in our life. You are an expert at this and so am I. We're experts at at laying claim to something and yet over the course of time just drifting away from it. Without practice, we all drift. Without practice, we all get flabby. Without practice, we all lose the skill that we once had. Without practice, we all forget. We all forget. And so beliefs are important. Beliefs are essential. But if belief is not married to practice, then that belief that you hold to be so, so important to you in your life, you will because you're a human being, not because you're weird or broken or messed up, but because you're just like everybody else, you will drift from that belief. If you do not engage in the practices that continually reaffirm this belief that you hold to be most true. So we're going to look at today four categories of practices. And as we go through this, here's what I hope it happens for some of you. I hope for some of you, you hear something and you think, I'm doing that in my life. And in hearing it, you may think to yourself, that's a good thing. I need to keep doing that. I got I to gotta stay committed to that. Maybe you're in a season of life where everything's going well. But you need to remember this today because you may find yourself soon in a season where things don't go so well. And this is a practice that you dare not lose hold of because it would be so easy for you to drift in your life in away from this core way of thinking. So here's the first category. The first category is the category that I would describe as first fruits, practicing first fruits. And I want to give you a couple examples of what we mean by first fruits. The first is a resource that we produce uh, Monday through Saturday called the First 15. Uh, you receive it in your email inbox if you subscribe to that. I hope you do. I think it's a great resource. But today I want you to understand the idea behind it. It's a passage of scripture, some reflection, and a prayer for you. The whole purpose of the resource is that you could use it in your life to give the first 15 minutes of your day to God. Because we believe that when you give the first 15 minutes of your day to God, it changes the way that you live and engage with all the other minutes of the day to come. That when you give to God the first fruits of your day, it changes the way that you live the rest of your day. You begin with the reminder that God is God and I am not and I need God. And because of that, you engage the rest of your life in a very different way. Now, it doesn't matter when those first 15 minutes are. It may be 5 a.m. for you. Good for you. It may be, Justin, it may be 10 a.m., okay? And that's okay. Could be 1130. That may be breakfast time for you. That's what it is for my 13-year-old. But the idea is it's the first. I give to God the first. I don't try to make sure that at the end of the day there's a little bit left over. I give to God the first because God is primary in my life. Here's another expression of that, another example of that. It's called the practice of the tithe. Now, everybody, real quick, just take a deep breath. And remember that the offering plates have already been passed, okay? We're not passing them again. 
okay? And I don't share this with you to in any way make you feel guilty or think, oh my gosh, he's talking about that again. But just, I want you to understand the principle behind the practice of the tithe. So if you know anything about this, you know about uh, the idea that we're giving back to God, that as we receive, the practice of the tithe is to give 10% back to God. But that's really only half of the practice. It's only half of the principle. So when I was 19 years old, uh, working as an intern at the Methodist Student Center, when I was in college, I started tithing. And so I would go and I would get my check from the really cute secretary at the Methodist Student Center. So cute that I eventually asked her to be my wife. But anyways, I would get that check (laughs) and I would walk next door to Aggie Land Credit Union And I would give them that check, uh, and and I would put $270 in the bank, and then $30 would go back to the ministry in which I was working. But that wasn't everything. That's not the whole idea behind the tithe. It's not just any 10%. It's the first 10%. It's not about working really, really hard in your budget to make sure that at the end there's enough left over to give back to God. It's about saying, as I receive, I take what's first and I give it to God. And so what I would do is I'd pick up that check, I'd go to the bank, I'd put $270 in, I'd take $30 back, I'd walk back to the, <laughs> to the place where I was working, and I'd go back to the cute secretary, and I'd give her $30 back. And it was a practice uh, at that early stage of my life. Here's what I want to hear. It's a practice that absolutely changed my life. And a core part of that was that I was giving to God the first fruits of what I had received, and not just what I was working very carefully to make sure was there in the leftovers. It was a way of saying, living into the idea that God is God, and I am not, and I need God. God is primary in my life, and so God gets what, God gets what is first in my life, not what is left over in my life, or what is next in my life. There's a young man in our church, uh, he comes to our 11 o'clock service, and one of the things that I know about him is when I look over uh, there, he sits over in this section, kind of where Pastor Sharon uh, is seated, uh, I, if I look over there and he's not there, someone is really sick in his house. <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's a, a virus going around, everybody's sick or they're out of town, because otherwise he's sitting right there, he's there every single week. And one of the things he said to me last week that I thought was really good is as I asked him, you know, just about that practice and, and, and why it's so important to him in his life, he said, I heard a pastor say once that I didn't decide to come to church this morning. I decided to come to church when I became a follower of Jesus, when I became a Christian. I made that decision then that on this day, that's, that's where I'm going to be each and every week, not because it's convenient, but because I've made a commitment And I need to live into the practices of life, the habits of life that continually remind me that this is the commitment, this is the the most important thing in my life. The second category is pursuing a healthy diet. It's a good idea, right? I mean, some of us just need to think about this in our own personal life. We need to stop eating this and eat more of this, right? You need to eat more lettuce and grass and less other stuff, right? Uh, But what do we mean when we talk about the healthy diet of the soul? Well, well, we certainly mean that that we feed on truth. We begin the day by feeding on truth, that we spend time in this book, nothing wrong with other books, but this book is the first book. This is, this is the book that we claim is primary in our life, but it's also, it's also being very intentional about choosing to do certain things and choosing to not do other things. 
It's about pursuing an overall diet of life that says, I want to feed on truth in my life, and I don't want to mess with falsehood in my life. And so while there are things in my life that aren't necessarily bad, at the same time, they are not necessarily good. And so I'm going to make a decision to say that's not going to be a part of my life anymore. Because I want my life to be based on a healthy diet of life. And, and if I'm going to really pursue a healthy diet, if I really want to remember this, there's things that I just, I don't want to do anymore. Because they're not what's best for me. It's living into the idea that Paul talks about in Corinthians. That there are lots of things in our life that are permissible, but they're not necessarily beneficial. And so we make a decision to say, this is not going to be part of my life anymore. Because I want to pursue a life that is healthy and good and based on the truth. Let me just, let me just meddle a little bit just in case I haven't already. Uh, men, they may really have great wings at that restaurant. Uh-oh, uncomfortable. I, really, I mean, but order out, you know, have somebody else pick it up. It's not bad, but is it really good? Is it really good? Is it really life-giving? Is it really, is it really reminding you about what real beauty is and what life is really all about? Is it really helping you in your life to honor your wife? Because if it's not, it, it may not necessarily be bad, but, but at the same time, it's not necessarily good. And one of the things that I'll just tell you as a pastor, one of the things that I struggle to wrap my head around is why people continually make decisions to place themselves in, in uh, places in their life where they are just not in a place that is good. It may not necessarily be bad, but it's not good. It's not life-giving. It's not the place that you really need to be. It's not pursuing a healthy diet of the soul. Some of us might need to change the channel. Some of us might need to change the, uh, the things that we take into our life, the things that we read, the things that we think about. It's about, some of us may need to change the relationships in our life because it's just not a healthy diet of the soul. I better keep going. Uh, look to bless and embody grace. This is the idea that the people in your life who you think about as, as those whose heart is all about service and it's all about giving and it's all about blessing, they didn't become that by accident. Those are the individuals who over the course of their life, they have encountered and, and, and engaged their life with this way. They've started by saying, Lord, would you give me eyes to see and would you give me ears to hear? These are the people who, when they think about going to work, they're not thinking about all the different things that they may need to get done that day, but they are thinking about all the different ways that they might be a blessing that day. They're thinking about that coworker who shared that story with them yesterday, and they're thinking, maybe, maybe, Lord, you would use me today just to say a word of encouragement to them because I know they're hurting in their life. They're the people who are praying, God, would you, would you help me to hear? And maybe in the course of that prayer, they're thinking to themselves, I heard something yesterday, but I didn't really understand what it meant until now. There's a need there. There's an encouragement that I can offer. There's a blessing that I can offer. There's a recognition that I just, I, I don't want to just be a nice person, but I want to actually embody grace in everything that I do. I want people to experience grace not only in the words that come out of my mouth, but also the way in which they hear them. 
I want them to experience it in my posture and in my tone and in, my, in the things that I intentionally choose to do and maybe the things that I intentionally choose not to do. I want to be grace for the people around me. The last category is embracing rest. And you could add to that embrace limitation. Or maybe for you, you might even phrase it as embracing your humanity. Embracing the idea that the world does not depend on you. And if the world depends on you, if everything that you are concerned about in your life, if it depends on you and only you, there is no hope in the world. There really isn't. If you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, there really is no hope in the world. Because God is God, and you are not. And you, because you're a human being, like the person sitting next to you, like everyone here today, we all need God. And those concerns and, 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 and things that, that flood our hearts and our minds that we spend so much time and energy giving our attention to, they don't depend on us. They may need our engagement, but, but if you can't set the cell phone down, if you can't let that go, if you can't on a free afternoon take a nap, Something's wrong if you can't embrace that margin in your life and recognize that that margin is God's gift to you. And it is a reminder to you that life does not depend on you. That your life, even this moment right now, is only possible because of God's grace. And the sustenance that you take into your, uh, into your body, the, the food that you eat, it's only made possible because of God's grace. And the roof that is over your head, it's only made possible because of God's grace. And the people that you have the chance to share life with, that yes, sometimes they frustrate you, but they are uh, an expression of God's grace in your life. To embrace rest is to say, I can let go because the world doesn't depend on me. And that's good news. Truth is your friend. And that's the truth, that if the world depends on you, that there is no hope. If this church depends only on the pastor, we have no hope. What are we doing? What are we doing? We're only here because of God's grace. And we need the reminders of that because it's so easy to drift from God is God and I need God to God is distant and I feel alone and I'm just trying to figure it out. 